What I'd like to do now is just uh, enter into our time in, in God's Word, and I want to really begin by asking some questions. You know, we we do this all the time. It's something that you probably have done many times this week, but I want to just co- kind of pause and consider this this thing we call prayer. It's the topic that we're going to have today as we go into Luke chapter 18. It's the focus that Jesus desires for us to study together today. And uh, I thought I would just begin by asking and interacting with some of these questions that come up often uh, as uh, in, in pastoral ministry, as I work with people, and uh, questions that I've had along the way as well. The first question is this, can my prayer really change things? When I pray, is there something you know, happening that is actually changing the equation? Is it, is it effective to pray? What is happening in prayer? It's an important question to grapple with, and over the years I've heard a variety of, of, of responses, and uh, while some of these may be true, I think there, there's more that needs to be said. And so I just want to start by putting a few of these up. Uh, sometimes people will respond if you ask the question, you know, is there anything really happening when I pray? What's happening? Can my prayer change things? And the response is, well, listen, man, pr- you know, prayer is commanded by God, therefore we should do it. And the, the response I would give is, yes, you're right. It is commanded by God, um, and we should pray. But that's not the only reason we should pray. It's just do it, right? Because we're supposed to. Um, there's more. And, uh, you know, another big piece of this is that prayer does glorify God. God is glorified when we depend upon him, when we look to him in this way. Um, but that's not the whole reason for prayer. I think there's more. Sometimes people will say, you know, we should pray because what really happens in prayer is that we are changed. We are changed. And the emphasis becomes more in, in, in the work of prayer in our own soul and, and depending upon God, which is so true. I mean, it's so real. We are truly changed as we pray. However, there's more. Okay, so yes, it's commanded. And, and absolutely, it, it glorifies God. And we are changed as we pray. But there's a fourth piece of this equation that I think is probably the most significant and wondrous piece of prayer. Now that piece is this. Prayer is participation. Prayer is participation. When we pray, I, it just it's mind-blowing to think about this. When we pray, we are brought in by God to participate in something really specific. The word that I'd like to use is causality. I've been talking with a few different people in the church about this because I've just had my my mind blown even in the past few months as I studied this. Um, the wonder that the God of all creation, the God of the universe, would would invite me, invite you, invite us to participate with him in causality in bringing things to pass that otherwise would not come to pass had we not prayed. Now, is God bound? Does he does he need our prayers? No, he doesn't need our prayers at all. He is free. He does as he pleases, right? However, 
he delights to call us into this participation with him in bringing to pass that which he has ordained. It's an amazing thing, a wondrous thing. It's the most incredible resource we have as believers when you think about our walk with him, our interaction with him, our our relationship with him in his indwelling Holy Spirit. As we commune with him, we are invited to pray and to participate with him in bringing things to pass. Here's a question that, uh, well, a, a quote from James 5, actually. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, this is a great example of this of this point. Prayer is participation in causality. Because you ask the question, whose power is working when we pray? Well, it's not my power. Sometimes people will say, prayer is powerful. And I always like to say, God is powerful. And when we pray, it's, it's God's power that is unleashed and great in power as we pray. So the, 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 the prayer of a righteous person, one who's walking with God in an in, in upright way, fearing him, obeying him in righteousness, right? That man or that woman, as they pray, they are tapping into the very power of God to bring effect and causality to the situation they are bringing to prayer. It's, it's an incredible thing to consider. Now, uh, this question has come up time and time again, and, and it's a really a, a question that comes often as people are grappling with the concept of, of how sovereign is God? How much does he actually rule and reign over all things? And what you find in the Bible is that he is active. He is not just distant or passive. He is totally in control moving the very molecules of dust around in the room. There are, there are no rogue pine needles that fall in the forest. Each one guided by God's hand to fall where he has ordained it would be. And so people will then conclude, well, that can't be because we're called to pray. And, and if, if God is that much in control, then what's the point of prayer? It's a good question, isn't it? Here's what I would suggest is the function of prayer then. God calls us to pray. He, he stirs us to pray. He doesn't just command us to pray, but the very inclination, he, he prompts us to pray. He, we are commanded to pray. We are moved by God's Spirit, encouraged to pray in these moments. And then when we pray, he employs our prayers as part of the means of accomplishing his preordained and all wise ends, such that the very prayers we pray are as planned, predestined, ordained by God as the effect of those prayers when we pray them. So, if God is sovereign and in control, why does he call us to pray? Here's the answer. Participation. Participation. He is giving us an invitation to participate with him in his work. He is is delighting to to give us a front row seat to his power, to his purpose accomplished through our involvement in dependence, in seeking him, in praying, and coming before him in that way. 
It's a powerful thing to consider. And so we come to our uh, section of Luke. Last week we covered this verse in, in chapter 17, verse 22. Jesus said this, Days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. You will not see it. Which means... Days like we're facing now, that this longing that we have, as we talked about last week, come, Lord Jesus, come, come. We're, we're longing to see your return. We, we can't wait for the, the end of this suffering and, and this pain and this heartache and these, these crazy viruses and all of this, this, this mess. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But while we wait, what do we do? And Jesus now, as we move into Luke 18, he's giving us a, uh, an encouragement here to pray. We should pray. And so I titled the sermon today, Do Not Lose Heart, Keep Praying. Do not lose heart, keep praying. Let me pray as we enter into our time in Luke chapter 18 today, if you would join me. Oh, Father, we are in awe that you would call us into this participation with you. It is mind-blowing. It's, it's truly wondrous, and it's mysterious. We don't always understand what it is you're doing or what your purpose is in the various uh, situations we find ourselves in, but we love that we can pray to you. We can come and, and bring things before you. We can make requests we can seek you. We can ask for comfort and protection and safety. We can ask for healing and hope. And we can ask for hard hearts to be softened by you. We can, we can pray, Lord, that the gospel would reach the ends of the earth. We love, Lord, that communion, that, that ability to come to you. And it is a, a precious thing. We treasure it, Lord. We, we ask today that we would understand it more and that we would not lose heart. I think even now of those in this, uh, not in this room, I guess, but in, in their living rooms and other places that are listening, those that may be discouraged, those who have been praying for a loved one to come to Christ for a long, long time, those who have been battling an illness or a, a situation in their life in the workplace or with a spouse or a, a co-worker, whatever it may be, a situation that just doesn't seem to end and their prayers are daily and they have been year after year after year and they're exhausted. I pray even now, Lord, bring your encouragement, bring your comfort, meet them where they are and may these words in this text as we study from our Savior Jesus, may they bolster our resolve to be a people of prayer for such a time as this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to just move verse by verse through these first eight verses of Luke 18. And uh, kids, I, I worked really hard to get a bulletin here with lots of fill-in-the-blanks for you guys. So hopefully your parents caught the, uh, the update on the Facebook thing and got them printed out for you. Um, I'll try not to move too quickly through the blanks so you guys can listen and fill those blanks in. I love to see your sermon notes as you've been... Uh, listening to the sermons week after week. Keep it up, okay? All right. So verse 1, let's just begin with the purpose of the parable. The purpose of the parable. This is a fascinating thing. Jesus tells us his goal in telling this parable right at the beginning. In fact, Luke conveys it to us 
in this way. It says, uh, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So what a special thing it is to have Jesus instructing his disciples here, we included, in that mix. And the goal is outright. It's, it's right up front. Let me tell you something that's going to encourage you not to let up. Don't quit. Persevere. Don't, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Just keep praying. Keep praying. That's his goal in this. The struggle to keep praying is real. Some of you are there. Some of you have been there. Some of you are going into that season. A struggle. Sometimes you wonder, is, uh, is it working? I don't know if it's working. Sometimes you, you begin to wonder, is God even listening? I mean, this, do I, am I getting through with this request? I've had actually sometimes, I've, I've talked to people and they they're, get the sense from them like, well, pastor, if you pray, then maybe this will work because uh, I can't seem to get through. And it's easy to, to, to begin to fall into that trap. And that's not true, right? That's certainly not true. The, my prayer is in the Spirit as much as any believer is in the Spirit, right? We pray together in the power of the, of, of the name of Christ. We have access through him to pray in the very throne room of God the Father. Now, it's good to, to share those requests and to join in prayer together, but God is listening, Sometimes we wonder, is, is God able to help? Can he help me here? Is this beyond his ability? There are some who have concluded it's, it's horrible theology, uh, heretical in many ways, to say that God is simply unable to help you. He cannot answer your prayer. He cannot interrupt the situation you find yourself in. You are just going to have to ride this one out because it's over his head. That is foolish talk. Don't ever conclude that. Some have drawn the conclusion that because their prayer has not been answered, that God just doesn't care about them anymore. Friends, these are false conclusions. Don't ever land at this place. Don't don't ever come to these conclusions. He does care. He is close. And He is working. Now, we're going to see in here that sometimes He is working in ways that we don't even understand. Sometimes he's answering prayers in ways that we can't even see. And so it's a real situation that we find ourselves in. I just find it encouraging that Jesus is, is acknowledging this. I, I think it's, it's important for us to re- realize this is just a, it's a struggle. There are times in the Christian life when persevering in prayer is a struggle. And it's work. And we need to be reminded that there, there are people who are going to be around us who are in that place. And it's, it's okay to have a struggle. It's okay to be in that season. But the goal is to move them to the Lord. Go to the Lord in the struggle and persevere. So let's go to verse 2. The unjust judge. Now Jesus begins to tell this parable. He wants to, uh, to tell a story that will illustrate his goal, which is, Persevere. Don't give up. Keep trusting. Keep praying. He introduces us to an unjust judge in verse 2. 
He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, this is a fascinating uh, introduction. Can you imagine a judge like this? A, a man who did not fear God. Okay, what, is that, what does that tell us? A, a judge who has no fear of God is therefore not going to judge at all according to the standard by which God has set. Well, what's he going to judge by then? He's going to judge by whatever standard he chooses, whatever he feels like in the moment, whatever justice he feels like defining it as. It's completely uh, loose and open. It, it just shifts on any given day. If he's in a certain mood, he's going to judge this way or that way. Justice goes out the window if there's no fear of God. There will be no consistent display of justice if there is not a, a fear of God. God is the one who sets the bar for what is right and just and true. And a, a judge who does not live in the fear of God is a terrible judge. What's interesting is that he says he had no respect for man either. So the word here that I would denote would, would be the, the effect of this is, is love. He, he just doesn't care. He doesn't respect mankind. He, he is not worried to, to, uh, to take care of anybody or to do what is right on any given day. He may just have a, a hardened heart and look the other way. This judge is the last guy who should be practicing, quote-unquote, justice. But this is the one that Jesus paints the picture of now. This is the one who is the judge. He is in the seat, and here comes the widow. I, I titled this one, verse 3, The Unwavering Widow. The Unwavering Widow. Listen to how Jesus describes her and her situation. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. She kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Hmm. Day after day, the widow comes. She comes before this unrighteous, ungodly, selfish, quite unhappy, and unjust judge. And day after day after day, she pleads her case before him. Give me justice from my adversary. What is it that she's asking? Well, let's consider first her situation. The widow's situation is extreme. Uh, first of all, to be a widow in this day was a, an extremely vulnerable position. In fact, you see in various scriptures throughout uh, the, 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 the Bible how often it was that widows were trampled upon, mistreated, uh, violated, take their land taken. Um, and, and God set himself up as the defender of the widow and the orphan. So it's important to note this. The, the judge, the unrighteous, the unjust judge, is, is not inclined in any way to take care of this widow. She, she comes alone. She comes alone. Now, courtroom situations in this day were almost always men. It was very rare for a woman to come into the courtroom. This culture was very set against women in that way. 
And yet this woman boldly enters into the, the chamber where this man was practicing his justice, quote unquote, and she enters in and pleaded her case day after day. She comes alone. There's no husband that can represent her, her, her situation. Number two, she comes with no advocate. There, there's no one else, right? I mean, no neighbor, no friend, uh, no one who can come in and, and make a difference. It's just her day after day after day. And so she comes and she pleads. She comes with no bribe. Think about what this may be like. If you have a judge who is not concerned about justice, nor does he care about people, what's he concerned about? Why is he doing what he's doing? Well, it's likely if this man was in, in that situation, he would be completely self-absorbed. His goal is to get what he can and to use, quote-unquote, justice to, to, to make as much money as he could. Just like the tax collectors of this day would levy taxes to pad their own pockets, this judge would have been a judge who was um, practicing bribery and receiving bribes day after day. The most effective way to deal with a judge like this would be to bring money, to pay him under the table, to pay him off. And this woman comes, she is alone and she has no money. She is a poor widow. She has no bribe to give, which is why she comes day after day after day. He blows her off. He's not considering her. The other way that some would see to deal with a, a judge like this is through uh, threat, right? Intimidation. This woman comes by herself. There's no brute squad or, or, uh, or, you know, I don't know, big scary dude that she would bring in the court and, and kind of lean in on this guy and, and tell him, listen, give me what I need or, or I'm going to turn Bruno loose on you. You know, it, it, that's not how it went down. She comes by herself, an unimposing widow, and she comes and she pleads her case. But she keeps coming. She just keeps coming. Again and again and again. All she brings into his courtroom is a plea for justice over and over and over. She cries, give me justice against my adversary. And so the situation for her is real. I mean, the judge himself, he, he has no concern for her. He's not worried about her. He goes home and he does what he wants. This woman goes home and is living in a situation where there's an active adversary who is um, harming her in one way or another, has taken her land, has, has uh, caused her to be in a, a terrible situation. It is unjust. It is unacceptable. Someone should do something. And this judge says, not interested. Not going to help. What is it that she wants? Does she want revenge? I don't believe so. I think this, this widow is looking for restoration of something that has, has taken place. Uh, you know, if, if crops were trampled upon, then, then he should replant them. If land was stolen, then the judge should order the man to give her the land back, whatever it may be. If a house was, was taken over and she was kicked out, then she should be given her house back. I think that's what she's looking for. 
restorative justice, not revenge. And now the beat down, the beat down, verses four through five. For a while, the judge refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because of this widow, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continually, her continual coming. This judge was getting the beat down by this little old widow, not in her intimidation or force or power, but in her persistence. It was in her, her unwavering resolve to seek justice. She kept coming. Finally, the judge, the unjust judge, surrenders to the widow and says, enough already. Listen, if I give you justice, will you please leave me alone? Just stop coming. Apparently so. And so justice is granted. Whatever it is that she was needing resolved, the judge decided, fine, I'll do it. Just please stop coming. And her request for justice is granted. What an interesting story that Jesus tells. That Jesus is a master storyteller. We, <laughs> we look at a story like this and we're just like, well, wait, who, who am I in this story? And who is God in this story? How does this help us to not lose heart? Where are we going with this, Jesus? I mean, that's what I'd be having my hand up, you know, in the back row. If I'm one of the disciples, um, Jesus, I'm confused. Are you, are you the unjust judge? No, I mean, no, that doesn't make, make sense. Are we supposed to be the widow that gives him the beat down? You know? Well, look at where he goes. The secret to the parable is in the comparison. The comparison. Jesus builds this out in verses 6 through 8. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Okay, now we see where he's going. Now we understand what he's getting at here. This is a matter of comparison. He's, he's drawing our attention from these extreme examples to, to what actually is. It's kind of like an if-then. If, if, if this unrighteous judge was finally willing to give justice to this widow, then consider your Father in heaven. How much he is not like that judge and how speedy he is to give justice to you, to answer your prayer, to keep praying to this God, this Father that you have. Don't lose heart. That's what he's saying. The judge, as opposed to God our Father. The widow, as opposed to who we are, God's elect Children, those who believe in Christ, those who are found in Christ this morning, today, as his, 
who are trusting him as Savior and Lord with their hope alone in this life and the next. It's Jesus. You are described in this passage as God's elect, God's chosen children. Beautiful words. Words of comfort and reassurance. So let's break this out. You can see in your sermon notes as as you follow this, I want four points built out on each of these. How is God unlike the judge? How is our Father in heaven different than the judge in this story? Number one, God is unlike the judge in that he is righteous and just in all his ways. Our Father, God, is a righteous judge. He is is just in all his ways. He is kind in all that he does. Not only is he concerned to uphold justice, which ironically is who he is. The, The bar of justice is not something God meets. It's something God sets in and of himself. It's who he is. A judge is just to the degree that he uh, mirrors and images God himself down on this level. Huh. He's kind. He's righteous. And he's just. And he's kind. He's loving. He loves. Certainly he loves his children. Something this judge did not do. Number two, through Jesus Christ, God is our Father, not only our judge. The widow comes to this judge. She is coming to this man who is fulfilling a role, but the role he fulfills is completely unlike the role that our Father carries with us. Our Father is is, is a father to children through Christ. He delights to bless. He loves to give good gifts. His disposition is for us. He is not set against us. He is not distant. He is close. He is inclining toward us. And he says, come, come, come join me. Participate with me. Make requests to me. Watch me work. We have a father in God. God is unlike the judge in that he is never annoyed when we come to him, but delights in our dependence. God is never annoyed when we come to him. I I struggled with this at points along the way in my life, thinking that God has to just be so fed up with, with Jeremy Pickens coming back again, being like, Lord, here I am. <laughs> I'm needy still, right? I, I, I still am needy. I, I'm still a sinner, I am still a work in progress. I know it's probably just the last thing you want to hear is is me. Friends, that's not true. That is not true. That's not reality. The way our Father delights in our dependence. He loves when we come. He loves to hear our prayers. In fact, it says in the book of Revelation that he keeps the prayers of the saints in golden bowls before his throne. They're stored up. Some even say that in the eternal reality in the mind of God, that he hears our prayers throughout eternity. As as we're praying them in the moment, they never cease to ring in his ears. That's a mind-blowing thought. How precious are the prayers of God's children? He keeps them in golden bowls 
before the throne. He is never annoyed when we come. Number four, God is unlike the judge in that he answers our prayers promptly for our good and for his glory. God loves to answer our prayers. He, he loves to do it speedily, Jesus says. Now, we've got to understand this. That doesn't mean that every answer is yes, immediately, right away. Sometimes God will answer in ways that we can't even understand. And, friends, sometimes the answer is no. We've got to, we've got to remember that. God has every right when we pray as one who knows us and who loves us and who sees all things, he has every right to say to our request, no, or not yet, or keep praying you're not quite ready, or yes, yes. God is free. God is free. But he says in this, through Christ, keep praying. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. He is a God who delights to give good things to his children. There is no busy signal when you dial the throne room of the Almighty God. You will never hear an automated answering system, thankfully. Oh my goodness, I was on the phone with Comcast this week trying to get through, and because of Corona, all of their help desk people are gone. And I, I tried for like 30 minutes and I couldn't get a living person on the phone. It was just this computer. And I finally gave up because the computer had no clue what it was doing. Never will that be our experience with God. He is there. He is close. His ear is inclined and he is listening and he is able and he is good and he delights in our dependence and he invites us to participate in causality. There will never be a call declined when you come to this Father. Now, when you come to him in truth, right? When you come to him in faith, when you come to him requesting your will be done, not my will be done. The phone lines are open, right? Call, call. Hmm. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. What a great statement that is. He satisfies the desire of those who fear him, walk in his way, delight in obedience and righteousness and holiness. He gives them satisfaction. He also hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. What is that, friends? What, what is that last part? Justice. That's justice. Do not avenge yourselves, brothers, but leave room for God. He is the one who will avenge. We don't have to, to take justice into our own hands. We don't have to carry bitterness. We don't have to, to be the ones who seek to avenge ourselves. We can say, Lord, we look to you and we ask you to bring the wicked into judgment, into perfect justice. He is wise in these things. His timing is perfect. He never misses one single offense. He sees it all. 
It keeps it all written down in a book that will one day be opened and everyone judged. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask God who gives generously. Oh, the Lord is a generous giver. And and how does he give? He gives with, with lavish provision in response to our request, but, but not with reproach. He's not giving with reproach like, oh, great, this guy needs more. Again, he's coming to me again. He's confessing his sin to me again. Okay, fine. No, it's not like that. Not with our Father. Without reproach, he gives. But it says, ask. Don't miss that. The invitation, the participation is, you come when you need wisdom, come and ask, and it will be given to you. Ask in faith. Come. Ask your Father and watch him open up his hands and release this this blessing of wisdom into your life. Now, we are unlike the widow. Okay, so first, God was unlike the judge in those four different ways. Now, we are unlike the widow who came before the unrighteous judge. We come to the Father in four very different ways from the way she came as well. Consider this. We come as his elect children, not as strangers. We don't come as strangers into the, 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 the judgment room of an unjust judge. We come like children would come into the office of their dad. I've always loved how my kids can, can visit me at church, and they, they, they know that my door is open to them, and they can come on in. And I love that. That's not true for everybody in the church, but it is true for my kids. Their, their encouragement is, come in. Come, come be with me. Come say hi. Come ask. We come as God's chosen, God's elect. That's a whole other topic. That's probably one of those topics that I'd like to hit on in this summer slash fall series that we're going to do. I always wanted to hear a sermon on this topic of election or predestination. It's an important one. There's a lot of questions that abound in that topic. But Jesus speaks of it without bad an eye. He speaks of it in the category of comfort and reassurance and encouragement. He speaks of believers in Christ as those that have been chosen by God, chosen by God to be given to the Son all of grace, secured in salvation, held, sealed in the Spirit, and at some point glorified to be with Him forever. Chosen by God. Not strangers. We come as God's chosen children, adopted into His family, given access to the very throne room of grace, and His invitation is, Come. Come talk with me. Come depend upon me. Come ask of me. We are unlike the widow in that we never come alone. Friends, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. Who is our advocate? Jesus Christ. 
We, we don't have a, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who's been tested in every way, yet without sin. We come in the name of Christ. That's not a throwaway part of our prayer, right? When we say, all this we pray in Jesus' name, we could put that at the very beginning of the prayer. Lord, everything I'm about to pray to you, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, my advocate, my hope, my Savior, the key that has let me into your kingdom. It's in his name that I'm about to pray. Or everything that I have just prayed to you, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. He is my advocate. Friends, we have an advocate who pleads for us before the Father, even right now, today. Jesus Christ our Savior. We are not alone. We don't come alone. You may be praying alone, but you never go before the throne room alone. He is our great ally in our coming to the Father together. What community we have in the Trinity, the Spirit in us, the Son with us, coming before the Father together. It's a beautiful gift. We are unlike the widow in that we, we come not in poverty, but in the riches of Christ. Think of this widow. She came, she had so little. She had nothing to bring with her, and, and neither do we on our own. We come empty-handed, but then in Christ we are brought in. We have, we have been made heirs of the kingdom. We are, we are now able to say that, that, that Jesus is our brother and our Savior. We share in the inheritance of his riches. We come with the riches of King Jesus when we pray. And number four, we are unlike the widow in that we come in the confidence of all of God's promises. The widow came every day uncertain, how's it going to go? What's the response going to be? What's he going to say this time? Will it work or not? What mood will he be in? Will he even let me in today? We come with the promises of God. Think of this. Think of just even, even one of the most sweeping promises, Romans 8:28. We know that for those who love God and who are walking in his ways, called according to his purpose, he works all things together for their good. Think of that. Think of, think of how mind-blowing that is. We come in prayer with confidence that God is, even in the midst of the hardest circumstances, he is working our good and his glory. We come with the confidence that we have a Father who has called us to pray. He delights for us to come. And even in, this own, in our own text here, he loves to answer. He does so speedily, it says. So Jesus finishes this section with a fascinating call to faithful prayer. It's a call to persevering, faith-filled, persistent prayer. Here's his question. Nevertheless, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When he comes on that day, the day 
that he is going to return, that blessed glorious day that we long for when the trumpet resounds and, and lightning, as we learned last week, wraps around the earth and he comes and every eye will see him. The question is, will he find faith on earth? What's he saying? Well, I think there's a few things. One, we learned even in Revelation chapter 1 that when he comes, the response of the nations in witnessing his return is what? Remember from last week? Wailing. Wailing. Not rejoicing, but wailing. And so I think there is a real sense in which there there may be a small amount of, of believers on the face of the earth at that point. They, they may be few and far between. By and large, I think at that point, the nations will be so hard-hearted, so set against Christ, that there will be a wailing that takes place when he returns. The second part of this, I think, is significant. It speaks to the perseverance of God's chosen or of God's elect. We believe in the perseverance of the saints because we know that the one who starts the work will finish the work. He who began a good work in you, believers, he will be faithful to bring that work into completion till the day of Christ Jesus. That's the return, the day he returns. And so I can say this with confidence. Yes, to the question Jesus asked, will there be faith on earth? And I think he's equating faith in this context with persistent prayer, persevering prayer faith-filled, trusting, active, ongoing, day-after-day prayer? And the answer is yes, there will be, because God will sustain, God will sustain the prayers of his kids, of his chosen children. There will be faith-filled and persistent prayer on this earth The call then, friends, today is, is that going to be true of us? Is that going to be the kind of people that we are? Are we going to be praying in that way? Faith-filled, persistent, don't give up, don't lose heart, keep praying, don't quit. Our response this morning, I want to think just a little about why we would pray persistent prayers. A few thoughts. Number one, we don't pray to enlighten God. Just guard against this. Sometimes you will catch yourself in prayer as if somehow, Lord, you know, if you if you really knew what was going on here, you'd be doing something about it. But let me fill you in, right? Let me enlighten you about what things are like. If you've got boots on the ground, this is what's happening down here. Maybe you don't know. Right? We don't pray that way. God knows far more of what's going on than we ever will. So we don't persist in prayer to inform God or to, to, to enlighten him on what he should do. Second, we don't persist in prayer to try to manipulate God. It's not our job to, to, to try to come in prayer over and over and over to somehow coerce his will. Like somehow he would just be like, oh, wow, well, they're, they're, I didn't realize how serious they were about this. I guess, you know, eh, I'll give them what they want. That is not our job. 
Some people will approach prayer as if somehow if you, you have this, this formula and you just pray a certain way and this many times, then God is just bound to do whatever you want. Not true. Not true. In fact, if you go that way, you will be uh, sadly disappointed because God will be proving that that's not true. It is not our job to enlighten God. It is not our job to manipulate God. And it certainly isn't our job to pray to impress God. When we pray persistent prayer, it's not that we do so persistently to somehow show that we are, we are pious or how serious we are or how you know, sanctimonious and, and, and sanctified we are. We're just going to pray for like 24 hours straight. And then if we can impress him enough or, or coerce him enough or show that we are you know, really deserving, then he'll answer our prayer. That's not, that's not true. God will see right through that thin little veil of hypocrisy. When we pray, we pray to participate with God. We pray to participate with God in his preordained and all-wise purpose. That's our goal when we pray. And it's so good to remember the prayer of Jesus not my will, but yours be done. Oh, if we could always remember to pray according to his will, how it changes the way we think in prayer. There's no lack of faith in a prayer that, that pleads for this situation to change or for this situation to be affected or that the Lord would respond in a certain way. And to pray all that I pray, I pray that, that your will be done, right? Your all-wise and preordained will. Take this prayer and put it into that as you have called me to participate. And I will delight to watch you glorify your name as you answer this prayer. As you see best in your time and in your way. There is a way to pray that reminds us that we are the children and that he is the Father. And that's, that's a persistent prayer, a steady prayer, a don't give up prayer, but it's a humble prayer. It's a humble prayer. Sometimes unanswered prayer is a challenge in this life. Some of you have been in situations, and I, I know because I've walked with you over years, of, of, of horrible scenarios, difficult relationships, messy situations, horrible health situations that just keep getting worse. And you pray faithfully. You pray. And sometimes it feels like those prayers are just not being answered. I was talking with Alberta Widman this week and I just, I just love it when, when people just are straightforward. She just said, listen, I'm really struggling for peace. I, I am having a hard time. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm praying, but I don't feel like I have peace. And, and I can't sleep at night. And, and my body is just anxious. And, and so I joined her in prayer. And I pointed her to the Lord. How do you respond in that? My, my encouragement was, was to keep praying. Right? Don't give up. 
Don't lose heart. Keep praying. Keep trusting. He is close. He will come. He's at work. Keep praying. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers. I think of the people who are watching this even now, and I think of all of the different circumstances. Lord, we find ourselves in a very strange and upside-down situation with the coronavirus. I talked to some people in our church this week who have jobs that have been placed on hold and uh, some people whose income is uncertain. I thank you for the way that you've already provided for some who are in situations and you've answered those prayers and yet we find ourselves in so much uncertainty. But when we come to you, we know that you are not uncertain at all. You are in total control. You have all these things in your perfect plan. You are working to bring to pass this whole event of corona around the world just as you have ordained to accomplish your all-wise and beautiful, glorious purposes. Even through the pain, even through the, the horrible tragedies that are taking place, you're at work, Lord. And so we come to you and we ask that you would glorify yourself that you would expand your kingdom, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would teach us to treasure the, the joy of just the local church. We've, we've been so interrupted and so spread out. We haven't been able to gather. We long for the day when we can get back as a church and love one another and sing our praise to you with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, Father, work and courage. For those who are discouraged this morning, who have been praying and praying and and just struggling to, to, to know how to persevere, meet them, I pray, with these words in your power and accomplish an encouragement for them. Help them to not lose heart. Oh Lord, Jesus specifically, I thank you for your encouragement to us in these words today. They meet us where we're at. Day-to-day life, it's real life, it's tough. We wrestle at times, it's hard. You're such a good Savior. You're such a faithful friend and, and ally in this work. You know what it's like to walk this earth. I thank you for this encouragement. And all of these things, Lord God, that we, that we pray and request of you, we do so in the name of our Savior Jesus because we have through him access to this throne room where you rule and you reign. Be glorified, your will be done in all these things. Amen.